Chapter Two of Zafloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Zafloya by Charlotte Docker. Chapter Two. Before we proceed, some account must be given of Count Ardolf as to the bent of his principles and character as to his introduction amid the ill-fated family of loredani may be ascribed the origin of those misfortunes which subsequently overwhelmed them by birth he was german being left early in life from the death of an only surviving parent to his own disposal he quitted his native country and visited france and england in both places instigated at once by inclinations naturally vicious and the contamination of bad example, he plunged into such a stream of depravity as rendered him a few years callous to every sentiment of honor and delicacy. But the species of crime, the dreadful and diabolical triumph which gratified his worthless heart the most, was to destroy, not the fair fame of an innocent, unsullied female, not to deceive and abandon a trusting, yielding maid, no, he loved to take higher and more destructive aim. His was the savage delight to intercept the happiness of wedded love, to wean from an adoring husband the regards of a pure and faithful wife, to blast with his baleful breath the happiness of a young and rising family, to seduce the best, the noblest affections of the heart, and to glory and to exult in the wide-spreading havoc he had caused. Endowed with a form cast in nature's finest mold, blessed or rather cursed with abilities to astonish and enslave, possessed of every grace and every charm that could render a man the most dangerous or the most perfect of his sex, he employed these rare and fascinating qualities as a demon would put on the semblance of an angel to mislead and to betray. Yet even of perpetual conquest the heart of man will grow weary. Ardolf, as the fury of passion or excitement of vanity, became gratified and assuaged, sunk into inanity, and despising all he had acquired, disdaining those females whose blandishments, while they had momentarily enchanted his senses, had been incapable of touching his heart. He quitted Paris, the hotbed of his vices and profligacy, in disgust, and hoped by change of scene to give a zest to those feelings which excessive and unlimited gratification had blunted and almost destroyed. Yet in change of scene he had as yet failed of finding what he sought with an anxious and impatient curiosity, a woman who should be capable of inspiring his heart with continued sensation for the proud ardolf denied in his mind the possibility of the existence of such a woman he analyzed and investigated with too contemptuous and prejudiced an eye not to find in the sex an infinity of folly weakness and inconsistency thus it was that having triumphed over them he disdained his conquest and disdained himself to have been attracted by them such was the sceptical, the cruel, the dangerous Ardolf, at the period of his arrival in Venice, for which place the Baron Wormsberg, 
a friend and distant relative of his family, seeing him only such as he appeared to be, for Ardolf had deigned to revisit for a short period his native land, gave him to the Marquess de Loredani an introductory letter. Little suspecting the depravity of his heart, he recommended him in strong terms to the kindness and hospitality of that nobleman, building that recommendation upon the strength of an honorable friendship formerly subsisting between them. To Venice, Ardolf had only come in search of novelty and amusement, to find, if possible, fresh scope for the gratification of his seductive and destroying talents. Little expecting, however, that he should meet with aught to attract or to retain him there. We now hasten to the more circumstantial part of our history. He had not been long an envious and ungrateful guest in the house of Loredani, ere he beheld with evil eye the happiness which reigned among them. His soul burned to disfigure the beautiful fabric of a family's happiness, and to scatter around him misery and devastation. But to achieve this, on whom did the malignant, timid fix his regards? Not on the young, the ardent, and self-confident Victoria, but on her lovely and attractive mother, on the wife of his hospitable, unsuspecting host, of the man who daily and hourly showered down civilities and attentions on him. It was his honor and his happiness that he sought to blight. It was his offspring whom he sought to destroy and to disgrace. It was his wife whom he sought to seduce. Such was the gratitude of man to man, and such still it continues to be. But it so happened that, susceptible as was Laurina to admiration, and more particularly so from a man of the high accomplishments and endowments of Count Ardolf, she still loved her husband with an undiminished love, and considered him as the god of his sex. The attention and the admiration she excited were certainly a source of gratification to her, but then she excused herself with the belief that it was as much on his account as on her own, and hence was a most powerful barrier opposed to the machinations of the wily Ardolf. But, unfortunately, opposition and difficulty were what he had long and ardently sought. It strung his dangerous energies anew, and while he gazed on the glowing charms of the devoted wife and beheld with darkened eye their faithful vassalage to her husband, he vowed, even in the center of his guilty heart, that he would conquer or perish in the attempt. He had now been nearly three months under the roof of the Marquess when a profound melancholy, partly occasioned by a view of happiness he had not yet destroyed, and partly by the gradual increase of sensations to which he had till now been a stranger, appeared to take entire possession of him. Whether it was the beautiful and unobtrusive virtues of Larina, or whether it was that her high and protected situation, by enhancing the danger and boldness of his attempt, added fuel to his passion, cannot be ascertained. Certain it was, women, more beautiful than the Marquesa, had been tempted, obtained, and forsaken by him. It could not, therefore, all seducing as she was, be her person only that enslaved him. And for the beauties of mind, further than they added glory to the destruction he caused, he had little devotion. How then happened it 
that on frequent occasions rushing from her presence, in a delirium of rage and passion, he discovered and avowed to his proud heart the ascendancy she had gained over its hitherto frigid insensibility. Sometimes in imagination he would reduce her in an instant to the level of these unfortunates he had betrayed and abandoned, but even so she was still Larina, and he felt that over her he could gain no triumph. Thus, in the maddening passion which hourly consumed him, did he experience some slight retribution for the misery he had so often caused to others. Meantime, Lorena, on remarking his increasing melancholy, had experienced sensations in her bosom which she wished not to investigate. She could not help perceiving, for so the insidious Ardolf had desired, that it was a melancholy not independent of herself. His stolen, yet purposely betrayed, ardent glances directed towards her, his deep sighs, the tumultuousness of his frame, if by accident he touched her hand, or even any part of her dress, all, all failed not to be observed by the Marquesa, and to make its unfortunate impression. Yet had she never, even in thought, strayed from her husband, for so gradual, so unsuspected, are the first approaches of a guilty passion to the heart, that she would have started on being told she felt more for Ardolf than the interest of friendship. It was one evening that, straying pensively down an avenue in the garden, she suddenly encountered him, not, however, accidentally on his side, who was forming unconsciously to herself a portion of her thoughts. He appeared before her, pale, haggard, and with an expression of wretchedness on his countenance deeper than any he had yet worn. Involuntarily she stopped, and looking with kindness in his face, asked, in a soothing voice, if he were ill. An inquiry into the cause of his complaint was all he had anxiously desired, but had not yet ventured to expect. Thrown for once, however, off his guard, no longer master of his violent emotions, he threw himself at her feet, and acknowledged, in hurried accents, the passion with which she had filled up his heart. Confounded, bewildered, and overcome, the trembling Larina knew not how to fly. Yet to remain an instant after an avowal so base would, she felt, be infamous, and participating in its guilt. She made an agitated attempt to disengage herself from the Count, who on his knees grasped wildly between his hands one of hers. But in admitting to her thoughts, even for an instant, any other man than her husband, in listening for an instant to an acknowledgment of the passion with which she had inspired him, the unhappy Larina had advanced one step in the path of vice, and to recede required an energy and resolution almost incompatible with the weakness of which she had been already guilty. At length, inspired with sudden resolution, touched, as it were, by a keen sense of the impropriety of her situation, she snatched her hand from the deluding Ardolf, and, flying from his presence, sought, in the solitude of her chamber, vent to her emotions. There, sunk in shame and absorbed in retrospection, she dared not analyze the feelings excited in her bosom. A thousand times did she wish that Count Ardolf had never entered the Palazzo Loredani. 
but the reigning, the only foible of her nature, whispered to her the brilliant triumph of captivating such a heart as his, whose every smile, whose every look, seemed a condescension from the superiority of his nature. Oh, self-love, dangerous and resistless flatterer, thou immolatest at thy shrine more victims than all the artifices of man. Earnestly did Larina desire to be virtuous. Earnestly did she pray for fortitude to preserve her from the power of temptation. But she had not strength to fly from it, and in that alone her safety would have consisted. Her mind became torn with conflicting sentiments. Her reason, her gratitude, the secret and powerful ties of early habit, taught her to adore her husband. But the insidious Ardolf daily led her senses wandering, and corrupted the purity of her heart. In his company she became thoughtful and embarrassed, in his absence restless and unhappy. The cruel Ardolf perceived his advantage, and pursued it. Like a keen bloodhound, he hunted the wretched victim of his pursuit, even to the brink of destruction. No friendly hand extended to save her. No guardian angel hovered nigh, and ere she knew the extent of her danger, she was far beyond the reach of preservation. End of chapter 2